And I wanted to um, tell you a couple stories. Some of you have heard a couple of these stories, but not all of you have. Story of two sons. About 30 years ago when I was a pastor on Long Island, I was asked to do a wedding for a couple, just a small wedding in their home. They weren't from our church, uh, but I talked with them, and it seemed a, a reasonable thing to do the wedding for them. So I did this wedding ceremony in this home on Long Island, and they said, would you please stay uh, and have lunch with us also? And so the family and friends were gathered, and I was sitting uh, in the kitchen at the table. A couple other folks were there. We were talking. I'm eating my lasagna, and, and a young mom walks into the kitchen with her little boy, probably six or seven years old, and she walks up to me, and she says, would you bless my son? I said, I would be very glad to pray for your son, and um, I, I turned to these other folks who are sitting at the table, whom I don't know. I said, I, I'm going to pray for this little boy. And boy, they set their forks down and they bow their heads, you know, I mean, there. And uh, so I prayed for that boy and prayed for uh, the Lord's uh, blessings upon him and that uh, the good news had come to his life, that he would know Christ as Savior and uh, grow to follow the Lord. And um, I got done praying and she said, Thank you very much. And then. She walked out. To this day, to this day, I regret I did not ask. Well, I probably knew, she probably told me his first name. I regret that I did not write down his name. But it's engraved on my heart, and so different times I pray for him. He's in his 30s now. I don't know where he is. I can't imagine that the Lord had that encounter for no purpose at all. Something was stirring in that young mom's heart. It was, I still visually can see it, her walking into that kitchen with that little boy. And um, it really struck me. And you, you can easily think, wow, Greg, you had numerous opportunities with that. You're right. And we pastors at times, we miss opportunities. And we can only ask for the forbearance of our Lord as well as the Lord's people, for we are clay pots. Martin Sanders tells a story of when he was uh, in a seminary. He was a young married guy uh, and with kids, and he's working the night shift at a factory to pay for schooling. And uh, there was some kind of event coming up where he wasn't going to be able to cover a particular weekend shift that he was supposed to cover. So he said to one of the other uh, young guys there that he knew, he said, listen, I know it's the weekend coming up. Uh, I got this thing going on with my family, and I'd really like to be able to go, and I just need someone to cover the shift with would you be willing to? And the guy says, yeah. He says, I'll take care of it. I'll cover the shift. And uh, so as Martin walked away, he said, bless you, my son. You know, just bless you, my son. And the man said, what did you say? And Martin stopped. He said, oh, I, I was just, he said, no, what did you say to me? He said, well, I, he probably, I was kind of joking around, maybe shouldn't. I said, bless you, my son. He said, I've had people curse me all my life. I have never had anybody bless me. The next night, this is the regular shift, Martin shows up, and this guy, his co-worker, shows up, and there's a woman with him. The co-worker brings the woman up to Martin, and he says, this is my mom. Mom, this is the man who blessed me. And she said, I've always wanted 
a blessing on my son's life. I've never had that for him. Now, these two stories, I, I think, give us pause for a moment to realize the, um, the real awareness in many parents' lives of what their children face, but also something the Spirit of God stirs in parents at times, the longing they have for their children. Um, and two remarkable moments. Um, a young child and an adult child, and we're all adult children of someone, even us adults. And it brings me today to some verses we're going to look at. This is going to be different than what you who come here know me. I usually take a passage and go through the passage. This is topical. I'm I'm taking us to different passages. But what I want to speak on today is that danger that we can become so adult-focused, we lose sight of how the Lord Jesus sees the kids. And I don't think any passage I turn to we're unfamiliar with, but I think it's good for us to remember. And one of the reasons I had Bob read that passage is Paul starts off writing to Timothy about the horrible times. I mean, you could read those verses and you say, that sounds like our country. Those opening verses, that sounds like our culture to a T. But he wraps up by saying, But you, Timothy, are a young man who was brought up with a godly grandmother and a godly mother. I mean, that's in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And you know, you've been knowing the scriptures. It says in the ESV, from childhood. It can also be translated from infancy. It is the way of saying, as far back as you can remember, As far back as you can remember, you were hearing the word of God. In other words, if you say, Timothy, when did you first hear the word of God? He'd say, I I don't remember a first time. I was always hearing the word of God from my grandmother and my mother. So here's Timothy, Paul's pastoral apprentice, being equipped to minister in a most godless setting with roots and a foundation that came from a godly grandmother and a godly mother and also here he is an adult child building on that foundation and I hope today as we look at this we'll not only see the eyes of the see through the eyes of the Lord Jesus the good news for our kids seeing the kids the way Jesus does but also even words of hope and encouragement for adult children because how often do we hear stories still decades later people talking about their home life isn't it remarkable you say well I left home and you know I'm gone and it's like they may have left the geography of home but home has not left them so there are some key reminders I want to bring out from these verses and I'm going to tell you right now this without a doubt is a partial sermon. You could catch me in the foyer, you can catch me in the parking lot, you can email me and say Greg you could have mentioned this and you could have mentioned that and you could have mentioned this and it's true but having desire to have us be gone before two o'clock I decided I would just pick some that stir in my heart 
When we get close to the usual quitting time, you can all stand up and shout more, more if you want. No pressure. Okay, so just some key reminders that stir in my heart as I think about these verses here. Some of you are afraid. What if the people stand up and shout more and more? Okay, so I know you're worried about that, but it's not going to happen. So first reminder that we're going to look at here. Well, let me, pardon me, let me back up a little bit, and uh, I want to give you the background. I, I, did, I want to take you to one passage that lays this out here. Let's go to Mark chapter 10, then I'll tell you about the first reminder. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. Mark 10, 13, 13 to 16, excuse me. Mark 10, 13 to 16. Mark's second book in the New Testament, if you're getting familiar with your Bible, don't ever, ever be embarrassed to use the table of contents. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I did not even know what an Old Testament or New Testament was when I came to know the Lord at 11 and started going to church. So don't ever be embarrassed about getting familiar with your Bible. Mark chapter 10, verses 11 to 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. To such belongs the kingdom of God. The first key reminder that I want us to have in our minds is that right now, children who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are part of the body of Christ. I'll say that again. Right now, Children who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are part of the body of Christ. They're not second-level members. They're not on probation. They're not second-class. They are members of the body of Christ. If a child has come to Christ, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. They have been regenerated, just like what the Spirit of God does to an adult sinner. The child has been brought alive by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's true, we have children in our assembly and in our church gatherings that don't yet know the Lord Jesus. That's true. But some do. That right now, when a child believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are a part of the body of Christ. That's why we always have to be careful with that phrase, well, the children are the future of the church. Well, we know what people are saying, but that also can get us into a mindset that right now they're not really contributors. They're kind of like uh, they're on the shelf waiting till they turn 18 or something like that. No, right now they have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Right now they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're gifted by the Holy Spirit. And let's go to Matthew 18. Go to the left there, the book Matthew. Matthew 18. Let's look at verses 1 through 6. 
At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Sounds like the children are pretty precious to Jesus But notice verse 4, he who humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Other settings, Jesus teaching the disciples puts a child in the midst. And Jesus impresses upon the disciples who are very adult oriented in like, we're following the rabbi, we're following this master. And uh, this is for us grownups And these parents with these kids are kind of like intruding on our special time with Jesus. And Jesus says, boy, do you have it wrong. The children who know Christ are living lessons of faith and humility right among us. Now, we're going to expand that a little bit with other scriptures, but just think of them that way. There's other verses that Jesus, other statements he brings to bear in this. They are living lessons, Jesus says. He says this, of faith and humility. Have faith like them. Be humble like them. He's saying to the disciples, you need these children. You need these kids. Right now, They are part of my kingdom work. They can and should serve. It's interesting, the the episode of Jesus feeding the 5,000, all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all included in their account. But John records something the other three don't, and that's that it is a boy with five loaves and two fishes who brings his meal to Jesus. Andrew brings brings the boy to Jesus. Incidentally, if you read in the Gospel of John, you read about Andrew, he's always bringing people to Jesus. He's bringing his brother to Jesus. He's bringing the Greek inquirers to Jesus. He's bringing this boy to Jesus. Andrew is always looking for people he can bring to Jesus. He's always that's how he's like he's always looking for that. So, here's it. You've got 5,000 men plus women and children. How on earth Did this boy surface? Well, we're not told, but we certainly would know the sovereign hand of God. But certainly we can imagine as the disciples are going out and scouting to see what food is available, this boy is ready. Now, we don't know if his parents were there. This boy might have been older. He might have been 11 or 12, said he wanted to go hear Jesus, and mom packed him a lunch. We don't know. He might have his lunch with him, and he maybe turned to mom and said, I'm going to go give my lunch to Jesus. We don't know, but we know there was a personal encounter as Andrew brings the boy with what he has to offer to the Lord Jesus. And the Holy Spirit has John include that so we understand where did the bread and the fish come from. It came from this boy. You didn't have to wrestle it from his hands. 
You didn't have to say you need to share. No, he was ready. He brought it. And it's important that right now we remember that. Right now, not just for the future. Yes, they'll grow to be adults and they'll carry on ministry and they'll be leaders in the church and frontline workers in the church and behind the scenes workers in the church. Yes, but right now, children who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are part of the body of Christ. They are alive in him. They're empowered. They're gifted by the Spirit. They are living lessons of faith and humility. They can and should serve. And even remember this. When a child reads the word of God out loud, he or she reads with the very voice of God. And the angels delight in it. And when a child prays, the angels rejoice. And I assure you, the demons tremble. So right now, The children who believe in Christ are part of the body of Christ. Second reminder is the Holy Spirit works whenever he wants to in a child's heart. The Holy Spirit works whenever he wants to in the child's heart, as far as like bringing them to Christ. Let's go to the book Luke, Luke chapter 1. A remarkable passage as the promise comes of John the Baptist being born. Luke chapter 1, and the angel is revealing to Zechariah, the priest, that Elizabeth is going to have a son. And this, he is going to be the forerunner for Jesus. Verses 14 and 15, Luke chapter 1. This is what the angel, in the middle of what the angel is saying to Zechariah, he says, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That's astounding. That is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit of God. And so powerful is the presence and work of the Holy Spirit that when Mary, the virgin, carrying Jesus in her womb, comes and greets Elizabeth, her cousin, that when Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, John the Baptist leaps inside of Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth knows he's leaping for joy. This is the amazing work of the Spirit of God. We have to realize when the Spirit of God is at work and we pray for him to work more, he works in marvelous ways in children's hearts. And uh, there are times I've met people and I've asked them, when did you come to Christ? And if, now I, let me back up. I come from this background some of you have too, where if you don't know the exact date when you turn from your sins and put your faith in Christ, then you probably don't know Christ. Now, the Bible never says that. It was a well-intentioned, a well-intentioned phrase to try to get home to people about that very important turning point of decision. Well, grant that, but the Bible never says that. 
And I would meet people, and I remember one young gal, and she loved the Lord and was walking with Jesus And back in those days. And she said, I said, when did you come to Christ? She goes, I don't ever remember a time I didn't believe in Christ. Well, now that really threw me. That didn't fit into my three-ring binder of what I was expecting for an answer. That just, some of you don't know what a three-ring binder is. Okay, that didn't fit into my iPad. Okay, so... Uh, I think I didn't know what to do with that answer. But then as I looked at the word and I continued to encounter people, I realized there were young children. The spirit of God had opened up and these young children had truly been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. They truly knew Christ. They didn't remember a time not knowing Christ. And their, their faith was real and genuine. The Holy Spirit works when he wants to. I know you and I at times are saying, you've got to work it now. And he's saying, I know when I'm going to work. And even 2 Timothy 3.15 from the passage Bob read, from infancy or childhood, the word was working in Timothy's heart. I want us to go to Luke 18. We're in Luke 1 there. Go to chapter 18. A parallel passage to some others we've looked at, but go to Luke 18. Verses 15 through 17. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not Enter it. Parallel passage. Just focus in on this verse 15. They were even bringing infants. The disciples are baptizing at that time. There's no indication that Jesus instructed the disciples to baptize the infants. We don't baptize infants here, but there's a danger we can fall into where we almost think like there's not much of anything going on for the infants. We can fall into the danger of not realizing Blessing our children and praying for them is a vital part of what they desperately need living in this earth. You won't hear me talk about what we do with the children as child care. I will not use that phrase. Babysitters do child care. Our nursery is a ministry. And I'm not just trying to baptize it and make it sound extra special. No, our nursery is a ministry. I want to tell you, and especially I want to say to you, it's mostly women. Sometimes we have couples that work in the nursery, but particularly our nursery workers. There are millions of places on earth where women are holding infants in settings of darkness, evil, terror, abuse, hostility, unimaginable evil and in that room down that hallway is a sanctuary where godly women filled with the Holy Spirit hold infants and minister grace to them I don't know how else I can encourage you who do that ministry to realize that is a sanctuary 
for infants in a day and age like this. In fact, I want to encourage anybody, whoever works in our nursery and ministers there, you have that little infant, you pray for them. You place your hand on them, and you pray for the Lord's blessing on their life. I want to ask every young mom here, what would you think if you went to pick up little Angela from the nursery, and as the nursery worker hands little Angela to you, she says, oh, by the way, I prayed for Angela today for the Lord's blessing on her life. I think when the mom got done crying, she'd probably say, thank you. And you're saying, well, what if it's one of our regular ones? I, does any mom here mind if every single week the nursery worker says to you, I prayed for your child? I prayed for him last week. I pray every single week your infant is prayed for and blessed with the Lord's grace. Jesus is saying, let them come. And he holds these infants and he prays for them. It's a wonderful ministry of the grace of the kingdom of God coming to bear on those children. And we don't know when the Holy Spirit will do his work. But he will work when he wants to in the child's heart. And um, we just have to keep calling on him and looking to him for that. The third, okay, so right, okay, number one, right now, children who believe in Christ are part of the body of Christ. Second, the Holy Spirit works whenever he wants to in the child's heart. Keep that in mind as we go a little further here. Third, The Spirit's work in children will also lead to the Spirit's work in Christian parents. Say that again. This is vital. The Spirit's work in children will also lead to the Spirit's work in Christian parents. If there is any parent here who has had at least one junior high or high school kid and you didn't learn some lessons about faith and the fruit of the Spirit, you weren't paying attention or something. (laughs) uh, That's how it is. He works in the parents' lives. My heart, I'm I'm the third born. Nancy's the first born. We, we kind of laugh. When um, Nancy and I were engaged, she had a 10 p.m. curfew. Strong, Baptist, fundamentalist home, good parents. Her parents loved the Lord, served faithfully through thick and thin at their church. But Nancy and I are engaged. I know some, some of the kids here are panicking. Oh, no. Don't, Pastor Greg, don't tell people this. But anyhow, so we had a 10 p.m. curfew when we were engaged. Well, you know, Nancy's out ministering to her sister, younger sister, Lene. Lene's a third born. Lene comes along. She's going to all-night youth group parties in high school. And Nancy's like, what is this? You know, so the firstborn, mom and dad are just trying to find their way through. Even if they're trying their best, they're trying to figure things out as they go. By the time the third one or fourth one comes along, mom and dad are kind of mellowed. They're kind of getting their footing. They're kind of realizing, okay, this works well. This didn't work well. And uh, so my heart goes out to firstborn. 
And uh, I'm serious on that because you need grace to realize, hey, I was the first one the Lord brought along, and mom and dad had some new lessons they were learning in life. But the Spirit's work in children will lead to the Spirit's work in Christian parents. Let's go to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. I love this story, Matthew 15. The Canaanite, or I might say the Syrophoenician woman, it is a pagan territory with pagan worship, spiritual darkness. And Jesus takes the disciples into this non-Jewish, dark, pagan place. Matthew 15, 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And it really, it's a, the word that means little dogs, the little puppies. It's not right to take the children's bread, throw it to the little dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's saying, if you give me the crumbs of your grace, it'll be enough. She knew just the crumbs of the grace of Jesus would bring her rescue. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. There are only two times where Jesus commends faith. One is this Gentile woman from a dark pagan culture, and the other is a Gentile, non-Jewish Roman centurion who says, I am not worthy to have you under my roof. Say the word. And the healing will occur. And he says, I, Jesus says, I haven't found faith in Israel like this, this kind of dynamic, powerful faith. But here's what I want you to know. The, the girl is demon-possessed. The woman is crying out, you got to help me. I'm in the middle of this. And then he ministers grace to her. He answers in a way, listen to this. He answers in a way that draws out her faith for the disciples to see. He answers in a way that causes her in a deeper moment of faith to really cry out more to show how devoted she was to getting more grace from him. And he said, what great faith. And then the child was healed. But the Lord ministered to that mom. See, when the Spirit of God works in 
children's lives, he also will work in the lives of Christian parents. That's why when you go to Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, you know, we know Ephesians 6, 4, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right and he'll give you long life on the earth. But 1 through 3 is talking about how fathers who lead their homes along with the moms are to minister to their children and how they are to properly bring them up in the nurture and admonition. Nurture and admonition. Admonition is the, the controls, but nurture is the life lessons. And, you know, as the child grows, the controls begin to decrease and the life lessons begin to take over. And he says, very important for the parents to understand this, which we'll get into in a moment. But the spirit's work in the children will also lead to the spirit's work in the Christian parents. I say to you all, and I'm a parent too, you want the Spirit of God to be at work in your children's lives. You must see that the Lord Jesus is also looking for how he must work in your life, in your life too. So, a word to us as parents As the Spirit of God works in us, do not grieve him. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit. You can resist the Holy Spirit. You can rebel against the Holy Spirit. I urge parents, let the Spirit of God work in your life too because that is a package deal. As he works with the children, he will work in you. He will work in you. So, right now, the children who believe in Christ are part of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit works when he wants to work in children's hearts. The Holy Spirit's work in children will also lead to the Spirit's work in Christian parents. Fourth reminder, key reminder, the Lord, the Lord's clear goal for raising children must be kept in mind. The Lord's clear goal for raising children. And some of you think, well, you know, my kids are grown or we don't have kids. No, no, this is, this is for the body of Christ. Because we all have to be on the same page as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just for parents, this is for all of us. Christian parents must raise their children the way Jesus says to raise them. Now that sounds like a pretty clear statement, but... I'm telling you, over the years, over the years in pastoral ministry, numerous times I've had parents say, well, I have my own style, I have my own way, Uh, you know, I I know uh, what's best, and this is going to be my style. Wait a minute. Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Has he not commanded that we observe everything he has taught us to obey? If you are a parent and a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ... You must be asking the question, how does Jesus want me to raise this child? Not what the child psychologist says, not what the school says, not what grandma and grandpa say. What does Jesus say? And you know what? And you're going to say, well, that probably is a pretty big answer. That's right. That's why the Holy Spirit keeps working. We keep learning. 
But you have to start with the foundation. I am a believing parent. I am a parent who is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. My master must teach me from his word and the Holy Spirit and other godly people who know the word how I'm to raise these children. And there may be parents here today, you've resisted that. You want to go with your own style or what you think or well, you have your own opinions. Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Your master says how you are to raise the children. Let's go back and let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 again, verses 14 to 15. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Going back to Timothy there, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Make sure you have 2 Timothy chapter 3. And before I read the verses, there is the question I'm going to ask you. Parents, can you say in one sentence what your goal is for raising your children? Or when you have children, what your goal will be? Or if you raised children, what your goal was? Yeah. No drinking, no drugs, no tattoos. And be polite to grandma. We get those. Oh, good grades. Don't get detention. I mean, those are my... Isn't that it? What is the goal? Now, you can word it other ways, but let the scripture speak to this And you can shape this biblically in other ways if you want. This is how I word it. Let's take a look at verses uh, uh, verses 13 and 15. Um, Pardon me, 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, he's talking about that background. Timothy, I want you to think about what you've learned and where you've learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is how I've worded it for years. I'm open to have the word of God refine me on this. But it's biblically worked in my mind and I've seen other other parents Grasp the concept. You can word it differently if you want. One way we can put the biblical goal for raising children is we are preparing them for a life of wisdom and faith. A life of wisdom and faith. Six words. A life of wisdom and faith. I want you to say them with me, please. A life of wisdom and faith. Because you know what's amazing In the mercies and generous blessings of God, and you know this, you've seen people who've grown up in Christian homes, they haven't believed in Christ, but they learn these very good lessons in life, and um, I've got some in mind. Boy, I've got one fellow, all his siblings know the Lord, mom knows the Lord, dad left the faith, and he's a good guy, took all the foundation, he's not a believer, He married a gal that's not a believer, but he loves his wife, holds down a good job, is responsible for his money, with his money, doesn't cause his mother grief. He lives 
humanly speaking, and in some sense biblically speaking from the book of Proverbs, he lives something of a life of wisdom. But he hasn't come to Christ yet. And you're saying, well, isn't the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom and understanding? It is, but in God's generous mercies, you can take the lessons of Proverbs An unbeliever can follow those and say, wow, it really does work to live in community. It really really does work. I've known others, dear friends of ours, and they have an adult child, same thing. Good child, respects the parents, holds down a job, very responsible, has zero interest in the gospel. They just keep praying. We are preparing them for a life of wisdom and faith. Because God created community, and they're going to have to live in community. They're going to have to live in community. And when God blesses them, it is a testimony opportunity for us to say to that son or daughter, do you know, you have taken the lessons of our family, and you've done well with them. But there's two very important things you want to keep in mind. Number one, the reason it's gone well is God is generous in his mercy. And he's blessing you because he wants you to come to Christ. And second, no matter how good your life is on the outside, it still doesn't deal with the sin on the inside. The greed, the lust, the hostility, the grudges, whatever it might be. And so a life of wisdom and faith, we're preparing them for life Trusting when the Holy Spirit is going to work. He might work when they're 10 years old. He might work when they're 15. He might work when they're 23. He might work when they're 37. We don't know when the Spirit of God will work. But even that life of wisdom we prepare for them, when they get out there and they see the chaos of life around them, they can look back. And I've had ones tell me they looked back and saw what they had from that Christian home. I had one young man, he was always kind of marginal. Then he really yielded to the Lord. Also married a gal from a Christian home who was kind of marginal. And they got married, and they got serious about their faith. And they came to visit us one time um, when we were on Long Island. And, I, and he was from a pretty strict home. And, uh, and I asked him, I said, uh, did you ever kind of like regret how strict your parents were? And and now he's a deacon in his church. He says, no. He says, when I yielded to the Lord, I knew what I needed to come back to. And he didn't mean all the strict stuff. What he meant was, I knew the foundation my parents were laying. They laid me a foundation that when I yielded to the Lord, I knew what my home was to be. So we have a goal of preparing children to live a life of wisdom and faith. Now, something for the adult children. Some of you are saying, I didn't have that. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And this is very important. There, I, I've met parents and who say they're believers, and then the way they're working with their kids is scary. And they'll say, well, my dad was always rough on us, and he never hugged us, and I turned out okay, which I'm really thinking, I'm not sure you turned out okay. But anyhow, and, um, uh, and so that's how I am, and... Uh, you know, it's good enough for me, it's good enough for them. And I'm thinking, something's wrong here. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways 
1 Peter 1, verse 18, the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. When Jesus Christ redeems sinners, he not only forgives our sins, he redeems our lives. And I want to say to any adult child here today, and you look back and say, man, there was stuff back when I was growing up. It was just bad. It was just bad. I want to let you know, Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, redeems your life from that. You neither are to own that as the way you're going to set up your home, but it must not own you. You have a new master. You have a new master. You're saying, but how do I interact with the family members? That is another sermon, and that's counsel, and that's another discussion. But in a nutshell, it's this. When you realize who your new master is and what redemption has done in your life, now you become an ambassador of God's grace and mercy to those family members. You take Christ to them. I had a woman grow up in an abusive home. She came to Christ. She wrestled with us, and finally the Lord had just really gotten hold of her. So she went back home, and she sat down with her dad. She says, Dad, you know what went on in this home. And she said, um, I'm going to let you know something, Dad. I have a position of forgiveness to you. I am not bitter against you, and I will seek to honor you. And I want you to know I forgive you, and that's how I approach it. And, Dad, I'm concerned because there's things you know are not right you need to make right with the Lord Jesus Christ even before you make them right with me. And so she just testified of the grace of Jesus to her dad. Her dad didn't say anything. He just sat there. I, think, I just don't think he was ever expecting this encounter. But her heart had been set free by the redeeming love of Christ. And some of you are saying, oh, my time, I'm looking here. Okay, Proverbs 22, 6, doesn't it promise if I bring up a child in the way you go and not depart from it? Proverbs is a principle. It's a proverb. It is saying that in general, when you lay the foundation, you're laying a foundation the child will follow. If you lay the foundation carelessly, you are building into them a careless life. If you lay the foundation biblically for wisdom, you're laying for them a life well structured. But that doesn't just leave them when they're old. It sticks with them. Isn't Jesus able to redeem them from that? Yes. But any of you who know, in your adult years, the battles you've had, you know it doesn't leave easily. Battles are not won quickly. Well, my time is gone, and probably that is sufficient in this overview of the children, but I want to pull together then a few thoughts. And number one, this is about the Redeemer and his good news for all of us, whether we're children or adult children. If you've never met Jesus Christ as Savior, if you grew up in a Christian home or you grew up around Christian stuff, you might know the words and you might know the behavior and you might know the lingo. You know how to act in church. You even know some of the songs by memory. That doesn't mean you've met Jesus Christ. And I urge our kids who are growing up in Christian homes. Paul wrote to Timothy in the first, that same book, in the first chapter, he said, 
I know the genuine faith of your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and I'm convinced is the sincere faith which is in you now. Let's make sure. Make sure. It's not that you have the background and the culture. You've met Christ. You've met Jesus Christ. You've trusted him as Savior. Make sure on that. Let's be attentive to our children. Jesus cherishes them so much. He says, you give a cup of cold water to one of my little ones just because you're a disciple. You, you will not lose your reward. You're thinking, I don't need a reward for giving a cup of water to a child. And Jesus says, well, in my book you do. Because that's how special that child is to me. He says, you receive the children, you receive me. And he also says, Matthew 10, 18, do not despise them and it really, it's a word that's pretty strong. I checked the translation. It really means don't hold them in low esteem or low value. Jesus warns on that. And pray for them. Next Sunday, Lord willing, I'll be speaking on the long journeys of prayer on any number of situations we face. But some of us know the long journeys of prayer for adult children. And we'll be looking at that next week. But let's remember that, that wonderful promise. As we think of our children, here they are, and ones who know Christ are living examples of faith and humility. And as we openly receive them with joy and take time to listen to them, and by the way, if you're from that background, well, I was, children should be seen and not heard. Well, Jesus didn't know that one. He wanted to hear what the children had to say. He put them on his, put them on his lap. He listened to them. They loved it. Listen to the children. Let them build your faith. Let them deepen your humility. You receive them. Jesus says, you're receiving me. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you for your word this morning. And I offer this up to you for your dear people here. You know the various settings we have. You know your people and the needs Father, I pray and ask that your spirit will do the special work for each one of us that we need today from your word. Thank you for the kids. Help us, Lord, to pray for them, to pray much for them, and to watch for your hand to work. Pour your grace out on our children, especially in these evil and treacherous times. We ask it, Lord Jesus, in your name and for your glory. Amen.